Isaiah 47 and 48 are in reference to the way that God, uh, He is a holy God, He is a just God, and whatever we sow, that we will also reap. Now, there are some people who don't know the Lord and they're wicked and they think they're going to get away with it. You got these people, these politicians, they got money or whatever, they got influence. Um, and they think they're, they almost think like they're God. Uh, they wouldn't not bother. I mean, you know, the president would not bother to ask God, is it okay to, to kill babies? Because we just want to give women choice. No, I mean, it's just weird to me how there's this, like, this blank in that they don't realize that the, 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 the God who put them there is the one that they need to submit to. And so, of course, we know as a church, our primary you know, responsibility is to preach the gospel. And if you're here and maybe you've had an abortion, man, the last thing in the world we want to do is to condemn you for that. There is grace, there is forgiveness, um, there's a new start in Christ always. There's no sin that the blood of Jesus can't wash away. But we're in the middle of this. Um, and I think that if Ezekiel was here, or Isaiah was here, or Jeremiah was here, these would be some of the issues that they would be talking about. Because we're going to see today that the, the nation of Babylon was doing a lot of awful things. And they thought they were going to be okay with it. But here Isaiah warns them that they're headed for judgment. You know, and if we love our, our nation, we love our, uh, the people, um, we would want to warn them as well. There are many people who will perish because they're just doing their own thing. And so it, it, it makes me want to warn them. It also makes me want to win them. You know, if you know anybody who doesn't know the Lord, my, my prayer is that we would just begin to actually pray for them and ask God for wisdom on how we could bring them, how we could win them to Christ. You know, we have to, the Bible says, uh, he who is wise wins souls. And so there's people on their way to destruction. And I have to ask God, what am I doing, you know, to make a difference? I really hope and pray that this skateboard outreach uh, turns out to be okay. Uh, Ryan is really excited about it. And it would be so cool if God worked it out. And then just God just began to really reach the city. And so um, we have to ask the Lord, you know, to give us eyes to evangelize. Lord, how can we do this? Because we're going to see today that there are a lot of people that are headed for destruction. And so today I was thinking earlier how God may not pay by the day or weekly, monthly, or even yearly. But God does... Pay eventually. You guys remember that uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7? There's the law of sowing and reaping. You know, one guy said, The thorns which I have reaped are of the tree I planted. They have torn me and I bleed. I should have known what fruit would spring from the planting of such seed. See, we have to consider the consequences. As a, as a non-believer, they have to try to think about it. One day, I'm going to have to give an account for my life. And even as a Christian, it's true for Israel. It's true we're going to see for Babylon. It's the case for uh, the non-Christian, uh, the Christian. The only difference is that for the believer, we get disciplined and get up. But the non-believer, he goes down and stays down. And so we're going to see that today. Consequences for Babylon and, and consequences for, for Israel. Whatever we're doing, we need to consider the consequences in the kingdom of God. 
And so we begin here in Isaiah 47 where he lays out what would happen to Babylon, how they would have to face God for their atrocities against Israel. And I was thinking before we get into it, the atrocities that are going on in Ukraine right now. Some of you guys are probably you know, up a little bit on the news and just the, the war crimes, the rapes. It's crazy what's going on. The, the Russian soldiers are going in there and not only are they conducting, um, unfortunately, not only are they raping women, but the women that are trying to flee the country, I mean, their husbands are, are fighting, and their sons are maybe fighting. Did you guys know that there's actually people in nations like uh, Great Britain and other nations that are saying, hey, you know, you need to flee Ukraine, come to my house. And they're finding out that these are men who are wanting to take advantage of these women sexually. This is the world that we live in. I mean, it is just crazy. And, you know, we haven't even seen the worst of it. And so, you know, for us who we believe in justice, we're like, okay, Lord, we thank you for the grace and the justice of the cross, but Lord, please uh, bring this evil to an end. And that's why we're praying. And so look what we read here in, in, in chapter uh, 47, verse 1. It says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal, um, make flour, remove your veil, take off the skirt, uncover the thigh, pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be exposed or uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance, God says, and I will not arbitrate or negotiate with a man. And so here Isaiah, he vividly describes Babylon's fall to the Persians, which took place in 539 B.C. And as Isaiah's writing, think about this, you guys, he's writing 150 years before it actually happens. And so basically Babylon would be judged by God, conquered and dethroned by the Medo-Persians. And so it would be quite a contrast because You know, there's going to be a time when Babylon is the most powerful nation in the world, right? But now he says, what you need to do is sit in the dust because you're you're not going to be sitting on the throne any longer. You know, what a contrast. At one time, this queen was there ruling the world, so to speak. But now uh, Isaiah says she's going to be sitting in the dust as a nation of humiliation and taken away as slaves, and so, again, Isaiah is referring to the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Um, you guys probably know the Chaldeans is another reference for the Babylonians, but the Chaldeans were more specifically in the southern portion of the nation. But when you read the Bible, it refers to, to both. And it gets, you know, really graphic right here. You know, when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, you read the book of Lamentations. And again, I just have to mention this because we need to know how horrible it is. The Babylonians, uh, they raped the Jewish women. You read Lamentations and you're going to find that's what happened. And so now what God does is he turns the tables on them. See, and we need to consider the consequences of, of our sins, the people in the world, people in the church. God sees all these things and he's creative in the way that he 
you know, he deals with us. The vengeance, it says right there um, that this would be a day of vengeance from God. The Bible says that in Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine. And it's quoted in Romans 12 and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. And, and, and basically what we find, you might think of vengeance as a bad thing, but no, vengeance is synonymous with justice in the eyes of God because God knows everything and he takes everything into consideration and he brings perfect justice. And so one day every wrong will be made right. All the wrongs of Babylon are about to be dealt with. And, and interestingly enough, as you read the Bible, here's the, the thing, okay? So we're talking about Babylon. And some might say, well, that's got nothing to do with me. They're a nation long time ago. You know, what's the big deal? But for those of you who are Bible students, you guys know how Babylon is symbolic of what? The world. The world. You read Revelation 17, Revelation 18, Babylon, uh, the, the religious Babylon, and then the commercial Babylon. And so you read Genesis chapter 11, and that's when they began to build the Tower of Babel. It was their way of reaching God. It was their way of rebellion to God. And so when we're reading this, we're actually reading, yes, about Babylon, but we're also reading about the world, the fallen world that we live in. And one of the things that I got to be honest, man, we have to be careful that we are not worldly Christians. And by that, whatever you do, don't become a Pharisee. Don't, don't think, oh, I can't be with people who aren't saved or whatever. I'm not talking about, you know, not being in the world. We have to love the world. We have to love the lost. But what I am talking about is when we start compromising, when we are not influencing them for good, but they're bringing us down. And so it's a a thing where you just want to be careful. We we are in this world. One of the things that we see so clearly, and as as far as I was reading it, I'm like, man, Lord, I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like Daniel because Daniel was right there in the thick of all the bad people. And, and he was so right on. And Jesus was right there and he was eating with sinners. But he was so right on. I was thinking even of Ryan and how on Easter Sunday they did a service and people would freak out because they did an Easter service at a bar. And you're like, what do you mean at a bar? I mean, how could he go there with sinners? And, you know, believe it or not, some people criticize. And usually those people who criticize are the ones who don't evangelize at all. Jesus said, you know, I'm not, I didn't come to find the, the healthy people. I came to find those who are sick, those who wouldn't step foot in a church. And so, you know, we, the, the key is to be in the world, but not of the world. Babylon is symbolic of the world, and what we see right here is the world will be judged. Babylon will be judged. God's people would witness God's justice. Look what we read here in verse 4. It says, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. And so the Lord, he's, you know, Israel, remember, they were enslaved in Babylon. And so God is saying, I'm going to judge Babylon and I'm going to let my people go free. And it's just a beautiful thing. And he calls them the redeemer here. And that means to regain possession of something or someone to exchange it for payment. Uh, Here, God would redeem and restore Israel back from Babylon and take them back to the land. And, And ultimately, you guys know our redeemer buys us from the slavery of sin 
And the sentence of that, and he bought us, he is our redeemer with his own blood, right? And so here Isaiah calls the redeemer, not, not just the redeemer, however, he calls him the Lord of hosts. And it's a title we find 261 times in the Bible, and so it's very, uh, very uh, pre- prevalent. And, and the word of the Lord of hosts is not in reference to God inviting you over for dinner. That's not what he's talking about, hosting you. Um, it's actually from a Hebrew word that means armies. And so it's another way of saying that this is the God of the armies of heaven. And that's a, that's a war you fight against God. That's a war that you will never win. The world will never win. And this is a heavy thing. He's a holy one uh, of Israel. Babylon doesn't have a chance against him. And so we read in verse 5, it says, Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called the, the lady of kingdoms. I, I was angry with my people. I have profaned or punished my inheritance and given them into your hand. But you showed them no mercy. On the elderly, you laid your yoke very heavily. And you said, I shall be a lady forever. I'm going to be the eternal queen. So that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. And if you have a New Living Translation right there, it says you didn't consider the consequences of your conduct. And so, you know, that's for me. I, I was just examining my life. I'm like, okay, okay, Lord, you know everything what's going on in my life. You know, you know how I have these struggles and there have, we all have the issues that, that God is working on. But you just really have to examine your life. Like if you stay on the road that you're on, where does it lead? You know, what are the consequences of of my activity? Here, Babylon was doing their thing, and they thought, I'll never have to stand before God. And then they were wrong. You know, God had used Israel. I mean, God had used Babylon to discipline Israel and, you know, to, to allow them to conquer his people. But you guys know, right, that even in war, there are certain crimes and lines that should not be crossed. You know, as human beings, there should always be an aspect of mercy and decency. But the Babylonians had none. They even, it says, crushed the elderly. You know, and I want to encourage you guys just in case, you know, we should love everybody. We should love everybody. But man, honor your elders. Honor them. You know, I mean, they might not be as young and youthful or whatever your perception is of whatever the way people are supposed to look. But man, they've lived a life and, you know, they get blessed when younger people honor them. Here are the Babylonians. They were just crushing the elderly people. And so Isaiah says to them here in verse 5, sit in silence and go into darkness. And, and basically what he's saying is a couple of things, either number one, that they would be like hiding when the soldiers came, you know, the, the Medo-Persians invaded the land, who knows, maybe some of the Babylonians would be sitting in darkness and they're quiet because they don't want anybody to know where they were, whether it be them uh, uh, looking for them to capture them, or maybe even after they captured them, how the ba- the Babylonians would be in those places of solitude. But either way, it's not a good thing. It's, the, it's the, not the, going to be the, the fun in the sun that they were used to. 
You know, yes, God had used Babylon to discipline the Jews, but Babylon did this ruthlessly. They did not consider the consequences of our Creator. The other day, I was blessed to do a, a class over at Calvary Chapel Downey, and we were talking about the Bema Seat, how one day all of us will stand before Jesus and give an account of our life. And so prayerfully, you guys, um, the, the simplicity of it is I have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and I have to be obedient to what God calls me to do. You know, and, and that, that's what you have to have in your life. Lord, what do you want from me? Where do I serve in ministry? Or what, you know, are the details of my prayer life? Or whatever, reading the Bible, sharing with people, just things in, in life, you know, your, your family. And then just knowing, just knowing that it's inescapable that one day we will stand before Jesus. And what will be the consequences? You know, I'm not saying he's going to be all upset with you. I don't, I don't know why I can't really picture that moment like that. But I will say that there will be an aspect of, for some Christians, they're saved, but their reward could have been much more. They could have brought God much more glory had they, you know, sanctified their life unto him. The Bible says in 1 John 2.28, Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence before him and not be ashamed at his coming. And that's why it's so important that we abide in him. Look what it says in verse 8. Therefore, hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. That right there is a reference to what God would say about himself. I am God, there's no one but me, you know. God says it over and over and over again in the book of Isaiah. Here, Babylon was kind of saying that about themselves. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood, they shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries for the great abundance of your enchantments. You know, and we, we know, how huh, guys, that when a nation prospers, um, we practice pleasure, right? That's what it says there in verse 8. Therefore, hear this now, you who are given to pleasures. And so, you know, things are going good and, you know, you're making the money. And so, you know, you're playing, um, you're partying. There's the amusement. There's the life of entertainment. You know, these guys were there thinking to themselves, we're good, we're safe, we're secure. But little did these women know that they would be widows, that their sons would die in one day. You know, and, and they were not considering the God who made them. You know, the Persians conquered and literally it happened overnight. You know, it says right there in verse 9, but these two things shall come to you in a moment and one day that they shall come upon you in their fullness. And it says, because of the multitude of your sorceries. And so this was Babylon. And um, right there where it says because of, it could be that, or it could also be um, despite um, that you do this. And so 
let's just say you're into the fortune tellers. You know, they got those fortune tellers, right? They got those uh, people that will read your palms. They have mediums. Um, you have astrology. And, and this, so let's just say that, that Babylon, they, they say that Babylon in one sense was like the heart of all those things. Like it started there, that definitely astrology started there. And so um, you're doing all that. And what you're doing whenever you do that stuff, you guys, is you're kind of like you're opening yourself up to demons. That's what that is. You're, you're not like just being led by God, like God show me, thank you for your word, thank you for your spirit. No, you're saying I need help, you know, from a palm reader or I need help from a medium who can conjure up, you know, my lo- lo- loved one or something like that. And, and so, the, you know, the, the text right here, it seems to say either God, you know, would come after them for that or that in spite of the fact that they were, you know, seeking that kind of help, God was going to still get them because those, those places, they're definitely not going to be able to help you. I've talked to people who have done like Santeria or I've talked to people who have done stuff like that. They're tormented by demons. You know, unfortunately, before I was a Christian, I remember I told my wife I wanted to get my, my palm read and I don't know why I said that. I don't know what I was thinking and thank God I didn't, you know, because I tell you, you start opening yourself up, it gets crazy. You know, what we see right here is God says, this is why I'm going to deal with Babylon. And you guys know they're, they're having all their fun. They're doing all their partying and stuff. There's nothing new under the sun. We see it now, the pleasures, the parties, the drugs, the alcohol, open doors to demons, amusement, entertainment. And the, the thing about it is that what you can actually come to a place in your life where it's not just an occasional pastime, you know, having a good time, but where it becomes your God, you know, rather than God being God. And we see that in America today. We saw it back then in Babylon, and we need to know that payday is coming. It says in verse 10, for you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, well, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. That kind of reminds me of the Bible. It says, Romans 1, professing to be wise, they became fools. And you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. Again, another description reserved for God. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises. And trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. So, so let me ask you guys a question. Let's just say you have a friend and they're partying or they're doing all that stuff. And you, you, know, you showed them this Bible text. You're like, hey, I want you to see this Bible text. God's going to get you. Is that how we would do it? No, we would say, oh, bro, look, you shouldn't do astrology, man, because I'm warning you, this is not headed in a good direction. Come to Jesus. You know, come to Isaiah doesn't write this just to tell us what's going to happen, although that, you know, there is that aspect of it. All the warnings in the Bible of God's judgment are there to turn us from that activity. And so we see it happening right here. These guys were saying, oh, I can do my thing. No one sees me. But Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you ever go to a place and, you know, you find out there's a camera there? 
And you're like, oh, okay, I better act different now because I'm, <laughs> I'm being recorded, you know? I remember when we first got the cameras and all the, the, the rooms and stuff, you know, uh, it was kind of cool. People started saying, hey, man, am I being recorded? And yeah, not only are you being recorded, you're being watched right now, you know? And so for us, it is, I think, a helpful thing to know that um, God sees everything. God hears everything. I mean, he loves us. He is the only one capable of seeing everything and knowing everything about us and still loving us. But still, to know that he knows my thoughts. He knows my thoughts. That's why you can never allow a thought inside of your mind to linger that, that is not a good thought. I mean, so you, sometimes you can't help a thought from going in, you know, because we live in a, a fallen body and the devil's always shooting those arrows into our mind. But you don't dwell on those things. You don't feed those things. God sees everything. These guys were thinking, well, God doesn't see me. Yeah, he, he sees you. You know, he sees how they thought they were wise and they were filled with knowledge. And it's just so crazy how pride can do that. And it had warped them. Now, something real interesting. Uh, when you look at this word warped, it's basically in reference to a movement back to the point of departure. That's what that Hebrew word means. Warped, it means back to the point of departure. And you're like, well, what does that mean, back to the point of departure? Well, the first time it occurs in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, where God revealed the consequences of the fall. Interesting. And it says in Genesis 3.19, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And that is interesting to me because we just got done reading how God told Babylon, you're not going to sit on the throne anymore, you're going to sit in the dust. And in one sense, it brings us back to that, 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 that fall that was so severe. See, when we see people with seared consciences, when we see people in even positions of authority that are making these decisions that are so anti-biblical, so anti-God, so it doesn't make any sense to us as Christians. Why? Because we're not warped. They are. And so... Babylon had it in her heart. They said, hey, it's all about me. There's no one else. And therefore, they were destined for disaster, calamity, catastrophe. It would be sudden and it would be unstoppable. And so we read in verse 12, it says, Stand now with your enchantments, God says to them, and the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your youth. Uh, perhaps you'll be able to profit. Perhaps you will prevail. You're wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. And so you guys know, huh? Let me ask you a question. So let's just say God is going to judge somebody. Is there anything they can do other than crying out to the mercy of Jesus that would protect them? You know, can they go to their demons? Can they go to their astrology? Can they go to their monthly prognostication? Can they go to their, you know, their medium, their palm reader? No, absolutely not. God's saying, go ahead, try it. You want to do your thing? Try it. It's obviously not going to stop what God was about to do. You know, when I, when I read this, uh, again, we don't have time to get into it, but I want to really warn you guys against the astrology and sorcery and all that kind of stuff. Even drugs. 
Drugs open doors to demons. You guys got to know that. The word in the Greek is a ph- pharmakia, and that's where we get our word pharmacy from. You know, it breaks my heart. Sometimes we'll see people in the back right here, and I saw this one young guy the other day, man, there with an older gentleman. I don't know if it was his uncle or, or what, and he's just there getting high. Uh, and it wasn't that long ago, for those of you who are my age, right? I mean, you, you, don't, you didn't used to do that because you knew it was bad. But now it's just flaunted in our face or strutting down Main Street with this kind of stuff that are opening doors to demons. This is why things are not getting better, even though we have so much education. They're not. And so the Lord says here, um, be careful. You know, we believe that astrology probably originated in Babylon. You might remember in the book of Daniel how the astrologers are mentioned eight times in the book. But the interesting thing about that whole scenario is that Daniel put him to shame. What was it about Daniel that just, you know, that trumped all that stuff? Do you guys remember what it was? It was the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of God. The king saw that this man was filled with the Spirit of God. I believe that a lot of that had to do with the fact that Daniel was even a young guy. Okay, think about it. More than likely, he was 12 years old when he was taken to Babylon because they saw he had so much potential. And, and, and yet, when you read the book of Daniel, it, it says that when he was young... He just always prayed. He would pray three times a day. That was his custom from youth. And you begin to put things together and you see, okay, here's a young man. He, He prayed, you know, with passion. And that would probably lead to the Spirit of God anointing him. And then it says in the book of Daniel, again, when he was a young man, it says he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. And so that's, you guys, that's where it starts. Lord, I don't want to defile myself. I, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Don't get me wrong, because sometimes people start thinking, well, Manny, you don't defile yourself, and they get all legalistic. No, you guys, um, I pray that you know the difference between uh, being a Pharisee and being like Jesus. So Daniel was able to be in Babylon and he put these astrologers to shame and you would figure they were accountable because they saw what Daniel did. But unfortunately, they didn't. God showed so much through Daniel. I mean, he was there for probably about 80 years plus and they still did not come back to where they needed to be. It was heartbreaking to think that our nation is following suit with what we see here in the Babylonian nation. Astrology has grown to a $2.2 billion industry. Uh, I was reading one article, and you guys have the article back there as well, but during the coronavirus pandemic, the astrology business boomed. The industry was already on the rise with daily life so altered and, and unclear, however, you know, going through the pandemic, oh, what do I do? What do I do? It says that more people were then turning to astrologers for clarity and guidance. Think about that. Rather than turning to God, they would go to these astrology sites or apps and things like that. 
And so one insider spoke with five astrologers and the CEO of an astrology company about the business of interpreting the stars during the pandemic. And they said they saw a huge increase in demand and the booked up schedules and basically more people than ever trying to learn about their craft. And so that's growing. And then there's the the psychic industry. It has grown 52%. And so that's palm readers, tarot cards, mediums, those who connect, they say, with the dead. In all reality, they're connecting with demons. And so, you know, we see that in our nation. We see it here. They, they can't help. They can only hurt. And God is just saying um, that's headed for judgment. It won't end well. Look at verse 14. It says, Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to sit before. Thus shall they be to you with whom you have labored, your merchants from your youth. And in other words, they had done business with these guys since they were young. It says they shall wander each one to his quarter no one shall save you. And so Babylon would be burnt, nowhere to run, none to save. I was telling my wife, I should bring an avocado to the study tonight because we have one that's just ripe. It's ripe. You know how sometimes they're not ripe? I'd cut, you guys ever cut one that's not ready? So here's the thing, you guys. Our nation is ripe for judgment. We are ripe. And so we have to be ready for the rapture and we have to be evangelizing. These are not days to, to, to play games. These are not days, I would say, to live your own life. These are days to follow the Lord. What we find here, after God deals with Babylon, God then kind of deals with Israel in verse 1. It says in chapter 48, Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city, that would be Jerusalem, and lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. So it's interesting how in chapter 47, verse 8, God tells the Babylonians, hear this, hear this. And now in this chapter, in verse 1, he's telling the house of Jacob, hear this, hear, hear what I'm saying. You who have the name and you swear by the name, you even have the right city name. Listen, God says, it's not the real thing in your heart. We need to go back to where we belong. For us, what's the name for us? Jesus Christ. We are, we are Christians. And that's why I really want to encourage you, man, to know the life of Christ and try to emulate his life. You know, on the way over here, we were talking about, like, who's your, Bible character, who's your favorite Bible character? Because maybe one day we'll do studies on Bible characters. I think that would be really cool. But, of course, we know that they're, they're the first favorite Bible character is who? Is Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to learn about his life. Learn about his love. Learn about the way he forgave people. Learn about the way he lived. And even, you know, just the way that he, he shared 
and, and then try to emulate that. We don't, we don't want to just have the t-shirt. We don't want to just say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, does your life really show it? Well, yeah, I go to church, you know, and I, whatever, read, read my Bible and pray. Listen, that, that's not the fruit, really, the evidence of a Christian. I mean, the Pharisees, they probably did it more than you. They probably memorized the Bible more than any of us here. But they were not right with God. The, the Jews, he says right here, you, you swear by the name, you make mention of the God of Israel, but it's not in your heart. And so God's going to deal with Israel. He says in verse 3, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass because I knew that you were obstinate and your neck was an iron sinew and your brow bronze. Even from the beginning, I have declared it to you before it came to pass. I proclaimed it to you lest you should say my idol has done them and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. And so I know there's a lot there, but basically what he's saying is I did prophecies. I predicted the future and it came to pass and I told you all about it so that you would change. I told you that you were going to be judged by Babylon and you were. You went into captivity. I told you before they were even a world power, God says. And, and I told you that there would be a king and his name is Cyrus I, 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 before he was ever born and that he would be the one used by the you know, Persians to bring you back. Basically, as God just proving himself to be God. And he says, the reason why I did it and the reason why I made it so clear is because you have these strong neck muscles and you're a stiff-necked, stubborn nation. You refuse to change. And I was thinking about how I have a fat neck. My wife was talking about, we've talked about that before. It was because I was a wrestler, I think. That's what I, I'm not sure. And I was thinking, Lord, that's scary. Like if someone has a strong neck muscles, you know, and they just won't, and they won't move and they won't change and I was just thinking about myself and, and you guys too. And I was thinking, Lord, how, how sad that we don't change. How sad that we don't grow. Even though God shows us things and he tries to make it so uh, clear, like with these prophecies and whatever it is, the miracles that God has done in your life, right here he's just basically saying, you guys, unfortunately, you wouldn't change even it says in verse 5 from the beginning i have declared it to you before it came to pass i proclaimed it to you that way you wouldn't say it was an idol or maybe even a coincidence of some sort god is trying to reach them in verse 6 you have heard see all this and, and will you not declare it i have made you hear new things from this time even hidden things and you did not know them they are created now and not from the beginning and before this day you have not heard them lest you should say of course i knew them surely you did not hear surely you did not know surely from long ago your ear was not open for i knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb and so the old prophecies as well as the new prophecies God is saying. And I, I came up, you know, with new ones again 
what for, Lord? Are you trying to dazzle us with your knowledge of the future? No, I, I'm trying to, to win you over with my love. If you could just believe that I'm God, that I'm real, that I know the end from the beginning. And he says right here, so that we could actually come to a place of, of repentance. Because he says right there, I knew that you would deal very treacherously and you're called a transgressor from the womb. And there's a lot there, you guys. But in, in one sense, what God is saying is that we were born in sin. You guys all know that, right? Uh, some psychologists and sociologists will tell you that the baby was born as a blank slate. No, we were born with the, uh, uh, the sin nature. Uh, we're all sons and daughters of Adam. And so we have an inclination for evil. And, and if you were to take it a step further... You know, there might be people in the world or even here in the church and they say, well, I was born this way. Uh, it says right there, a transgressor from the womb, I was born this way. It doesn't matter if you were born that way. What matters is you're born again. What matters is well, what way does God want you to live? I mean, doesn't it make sense to us that that's how we should live life, that he's God and, and I'm not? I mean, what's the very first thing the Lord says? If you're going to come after me, you've got to take up your cross and deny yourself. So, you know, here the Lord is just saying, I tried to prove myself to you by telling you prophecies and new prophecies. And it's just crazy how, unfortunately, it's, it takes a lot for people to change. What's it going to take? And, and yet, because of our faith in Jesus and this covenant with our Creator, the church and Israel, they will be blessed in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it because it's for the glory of God. We read that in verse 9, For my name's sake, I will defer my anger, and for my praise, I will restrain it from you so that you do not, I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it, for how should my name be profaned, and I will not give my glory to another. You know, the, the Lord here is saying, in spite of the fact that you guys were stiff-necked and prideful and stubborn and you, you're a transgressor from the womb and it just doesn't seem like you're changing much, you're mine. You're still mine. And you guys here, I pray that encourages you that if you have faith in Jesus then you're his. That's the salvation we have. That's the grace that we have. And, be, and for his glory, he, he's not going to let you go. He will deal with you. It says in verse 10, I have refined you, not as silver. And, and there's different uh, views on that. Some people say that all he's saying is that you didn't go into the literal fire. Like Babylon went into the literal fire. Israel wouldn't go into the literal fire. They went into the furnace of affliction. And what that means is that they went through the discipline of God. They went through some very difficult times. But God would, you know, he would, he would deal with them. He cured them of certain things. Even though they didn't come full circle, they did get rid of the idolatry. And so God dealt with them in the furnace of affliction. Other people say that it's interesting. I, I, I have not refined you, but not as silver, some would even say this, that he, he's refined us as gold. I like that. Not just silver, not just silver, gold. 
I like what Job says in Job 23.10, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. As we go through the hard times, what does the Bible say? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You guys, when we go through trials, I know it's hard to rejoice, but if you can just rejoice knowing that God would not allow it unless he was going to work in a great way. And I always tell people, the greater the pain, the greater the purpose. And so in verse 12, he says, Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. So again, he says, listen, listen. Are you guys listening? Are you listening? Come on. (laughs) He's saying, listen to me. Um, and he's talking, this is Jesus at this point, and he just says, I want you to know who I am. My hand laid the foundation in the earth. He, I think, I guess he did it with his left hand or whatever. My right hand just stretched out the heavens. Think about all the stars, all the galaxies, just like a curtain. This is the one that is speaking to us, right? And he says, when I call to them, what do they do? Remember when you're in the service? Attention. I don't know how Philip do it. I'm not sure exactly how they would stand, but just attention. He says, that's how it is with my creation. That's how it should be with you too. Verse 14, all of you assemble yourselves and hear who among them has declared these things. Now, he gets into something interesting. Now he says, the Lord loves him. Now, you guys know the Lord loves you? Okay, but this is not talking about you. I'm just to let you know, okay? more than likely, this is in reference to Cyrus. Okay, so anyways, the Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. But then he's going to transition into Jesus. He says, I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him and his way will prosper. And you guys have known, we've gone through this section where God talked a lot about Cyrus, who would be used by the Lord and Medo-Persians to conquer Babylon. But, but then he's just also a picture of Jesus because it says in verse 16, come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Now, anyone here in your Bible, the word me capitalized? I'm just curious. So if you have a new King James, more than likely it's capitalized. And now we're talking about Jesus. And isn't it interesting how we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that verse? And now he's talking about Jesus. In verse 17, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel... I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. And what that means is is I teach you what's good for you. I teach you what's best for you. Who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandment. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. 
And, and you know, running out of time here, but man, what a a great, beautiful verse. Things to think about. You know how God teaches us, and sometimes you know you go to a church and they're like, man, you. Some people want more experience, or they want more activity, or they whatever they want more other activities and 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 it's just so cool to know that we were raised in an environment that says no teach me the bible because this is what is good for me and as i learn it and and then i I love it and i learn to live it but but here one of the interesting things says is that you know if only you would have listened to the things that i taught you then you wouldn't have had to gone through. Um, they were taken captive in Babylon. You wouldn't have had gone through that. You could have had peace like a river. And so again, not just like telling them and slapping them in the face and just saying, I told you so. It's more like for us now. Like listen, because listen, th- those types of things, they don't have to happen. We could have had peace like a river. And 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 again, the river always, to me, speaks of the Holy Spirit and how Jesus gives us that peace. I was even thinking of the river in heaven and how ultimately that's where we're headed when we're Christians. And so uh, closing verse 20 says, Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing. Declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and and the waters gushed out. And I love the way that the chapter ends because, you know, it ends on on a high note other than the last verse, but it ends on the high note where he's just saying, okay, now when you're leaving Babylon, I want you to be singing. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. Now, a lot of commentators believe that one of the things Isaiah is is saying is don't be bad and stay in Babylon or stay in Persia. No, get back to Jerusalem. You go back to Jerusalem, and as you're going back, you know, you sing. Some of the guys were actually afraid of the journey. They're like, no, if I go to Babylon all the way to um, you know, Israel, then it's a dangerous journey. And the Lord was saying, don't wait a minute, time out. Uh, don't you remember how when they left uh, Egypt, I gave them water from the rock. I mean, the Holy Spirit, God's going to take care of them. I, just like he took care of them in the wilderness this way, he'll take care of them in the wilderness this way. And so it's a really cool thing to, to think about as far as us singing and rejoicing and praising God because, you know, we're his children. And I just pray that you know God has beautiful plans for your life. Just follow him. He didn't bring us here just to condemn us. I mean, conviction may be good, but he brought us here to encourage us to follow him, that he will bless. We just want to make sure that we have the righteousness of Christ that my faith is truly in Jesus because the last verse is scary. It says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And he'll say it again later.